Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Suspense. In the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. The story you're about to hear is a true story, a war story. It happened only 14 years ago, but already it seems a little dated, almost quaint, in these days of an ever bigger and bigger bomb. But it wasn't quaint to the men who lived through it or died during it, for no matter how huge and lethal our weapons become, our real strength lies in men. The men of Bataan and Normandy, of the Argonne and Seoul. The men who today stand constant guard upon our far-flung ramparts. The men of the armed forces of the United States of America. To them, this historical footnote is dedicated. Terrell was tough. Starring Mr. John Lund. Friend now. John Lund stars in... Arawa was tough. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. This is the way it was when they went island hopping. This is the way it was at Tarawa. But you can call it Kwajalein or Macon or Namur or Los Negros. This is how they fought a war where it's tomorrow, tonight. Training's all over now. You're ready to ship out. You're tough and you're hard and you're raring to go. But wars move slowly, even the best of them. And so you sit and wait. Crowded into a shed on a pier in the harbor of Wellington, New Zealand. You've been laying around this shed for 12 hours now, waiting to get aboard your transport. And you'd go boxock if it wasn't for the radio that the Red Cross fellow rigged up. It's tuned to your favorite station, Radio Tokyo. Hey, what a tune, huh? What a tune. Can you imagine what Sinatra will do to that? Sinatra would murder it. Listen to Bing. Bing, Bing. You're getting old, Les. Sinatra's a kid nowadays. I reckon Moish is right, Les. We've been out of the States too long. There's a whole new generation grew up since Pearl Harbor. Like these two boots. Can I help it if I was born later than you? Or something? I wished I was born even later. Shorty... What are I going to do down in the canal to get a boot like Odie assigned to my squad? You shouldn't have let your squad get cut up so bad at the tenor room. Hey, look out what you're saying, Shorty. Les is the best sergeant in the whole marine. Now, Odie, just keep your coveralls on. I was at the tenor room myself. I know all about how Les got those ribbons. Yeah? You get a Guadalcanal patch on your sleeve and you get too big for your britches. Well, listen to what's talking. The commando of Camp Lejeune. 
Uh, wish I was listening to that record at Eddie's dog cart back in Allentown. Homesick. Kid? No. I was just thinking. Hey, Lush. Hey, how'd I get them new platters like that in Tokyo? By a midget submarine direct from Catalina Island. Oh, come on. Now, no kidding. How do they? What do you think Argentina stayed neutral for? Huh? Just so they could send the latest American jive to Japan so Tokyo Rose can play them for us? Gee. You know, I never was able to understand that international politics. Well, boys, how did you like that one? Pistol Pack and Mama, sung by Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters. And this is your chin-up girl in Tokyo. <laughs> Get her. Yeah, I wonder who writes her material. <laughs> chin-up girl. It's kind of cute, huh? Pistol Pack and Mama. Your mama in Tokyo's packing no pistols tonight. She's packing a heart full of pity for you kids. They're selling you down the river back home. Four more strikes were called today. Doesn't look like you boys are going to get those planes and ships they promised you. Oh, well, I... You guys aren't like that all the time. You get used to it. Too bad, you boys. All of you couldn't be back home tonight where you really needed, protecting those near and dear to you. And now I have a special word for the brave Marines down in New Zealand. Hey, that's us. Yeah. You boys are waiting now for transports. You don't know yet where you're going, but I do. You will sail in the morning to attack the Gilbert Islands in the Central Pacific. But you'll never get there. We're waiting for you with hundreds of submarines. I'm sorry for you boys. None of you will ever see land again. And now a recording which seems appropriate to the occasion. Asleep in the deep. Well, how do you like that? Hey, how she know where we're going? Ah, Moish, you remind me of that tired old gag about the guy who reads a sign on the door that says, Keep out, this means you. And he asks, How did they know I was coming? Oh, very funny. <laughs> sure, that's just a lucky guess. Nobody's one to us. In case you boys waiting on the piers in Wellington think I was kidding. Huh? She means us. In case you think I don't know what I'm talking about, the time is now five minutes after eight. If you'll look out the window at the clock in the Customs House Tower down there in Wellington, New Zealand, you'll discover that it stopped 20 minutes ago at exactly a quarter to eight. What? Moish. Huh? Take a gander out of that window, will you? Yeah. Hey! Hey, yeah, she's right. Hey, that hands are putting a quarter of eight. My watch says eight five. There you see, boys. Don't ever doubt your Tokyo chin-up girl again. Chins up and bon voyage. Oh, well, you can't load 20 transports full of Marines and tanks and Jeeps and guns without somebody getting wise. When you pull anchor early in the morning and meet your naval escort outside the harbor, you forget all about that dizzy broad on the Tokyo radio. Let them send all the subs they've got left. You'll be ready for them. Because you've never seen so many carriers and cruisers and battle wagons in your life. You know you're on your way to something big. And they don't leave you in the dark about it. New Zealand is just slipping under the horizon to the south when they herd you together for a chart talk. Man, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about where we're going. And it's time we give you the load, Dan, because all of us have got a lot of work to do before we get there. 
Our job is to take Tarawa. Yes. Who's that? Yeah. Never heard of it. Tarawa is the principal atoll in the Gilbert Islands. The Gilbert Islands? I didn't know Tokyo Rose was right. Ah, she was only guessing. Part of the task force will attack Macon Island to the north. I think some of you boys are pretty well acquainted with Macon. <laughs> now, uh, another force will attack Abamama in the south. But our job is to take Tarawa. And we expect it to be plenty tough. Now, take a good look at this map. Study it. Study it hard. By the time we go over the side, I want you to know it as well as you know the drill ground at North Island. Oh, my God. Now, the island of Badio. Badio, here on the extreme southeastern tip of the atoll, is where the Nips have their strongest fortifications. Now, you men who are at Guadalcanal will find this a much different operation. There's no jungle on Tarawa. That's a break. You mean we'll be able to see the little... Before we shoot them? I won't guarantee that. Air reconnaissance shows that they're strongly entrenched. The airstrip is surrounded with pillboxes and echelon. That'll take flamethrowers. You'll be supported by flamethrowers, light and heavy tanks. Brother, this is going to be easier than a dry run at Paris Island. <laughs> Don't be too sure about that. You'll have the strongest support any Marine force has ever had. The island will be softened up for us by naval and air bombardment and all that. But remember, you're going to have to take the island yourselves. On foot. With the weapons you can carry. That's okay with me. Now, the beaches will be designated red, yellow, and blue. You men are assigned to beach red. Hour after hour, you go over the maps and the charts and the air photographs, printing each detail in your memory, cramming like a kid before a geography exam. You only take time off to chow, to hit the sack, and to take your turn topside on the sunny deck. Oh, man, what a way to fight a war, huh? And I get paid for laying out here, getting this lovely tan. <laughs> That's what you think. Oh, man. You know, I hope I'll be able to keep tan like this until I get back to Brooklyn. Boys, you better cover up. You look like a bad case of the 4th of July. Nah, nah, I'm okay. I always get red like this here at first, but don't mean nothing. Now listen, Marsh, we're getting near the equator. This sun is different than the sun in Canarsie. What are you talking? I don't see no difference. There ain't two suns, is there? No, it's the same sun. Well, then... You know what I like right now. Huh, what? A bottle of Mexican beer and a bowl of chili. Hey, chili. <laughs> hey, did you ever know any Mexican girls, Shorty? You know, if I try real hard, I can see a connection there. Don't try. I knew a Mexican girl in Dago once, you know, while I was at North Island. No kidding. Yeah. Ever know a Mr. Smith in New York? No. Oh, I never run into him. That's funny. Yeah, friend of yours? No. Well, this Mexican girl, she was. What? Friend of mine. Get Casanova Greenberg. <laughs> huh? It was just you call me odious son of dirty. Oh, not necessarily. Casanova was a guy who had a way with women. Oh. <laughs> you noticed that about me, too, huh? Did I ever tell you about that Aussie girl I met in Sydney? She had false teeth, uppers and lowers. Full set. So you talk. You might think that... But just to talk. Because nobody really listens. You talk because you don't want to listen to the pounding of your own heart, racing against time, against the too soon time when it may stop forever. You talk or you just lie there and look out at the blue, blue water and you wonder, what are you doing here? 
How did you get here? And you wonder if Tokyo Rose was guessing or did she really have the word? And you wonder most of all if you ever will reach dry land again. Bunks are stacked four deep, and there isn't any headroom. You have to slip in sideways. Your gear hangs on the steel upright. Your netting-covered tin hat swings slowly with the motion of the ship. It's hot down here, and it stinks. It stinks of the sweat and cigarette smoke of hundreds of men. But you're not noticing any of this now. You're lying on your bunk with Moish up above you and Shorty below, studying that map of Tarawa. I sure wish we were going into beach yellow instead of beach red. Why? Well, Beach Red's next to that pier. I bet the Japs will have guns all over it. Kid, by the time we get ashore, that pier just won't naturally be there. The bombardment will take years hit. The brass has learned a lot since Guadalcanal. Well, is the canal tough, Shorty? The West never tells me much about it. Kid, it was tough, it was rugged, it was hell. This Tarawa thing's gonna be a breeze. <laughs> I hope you're right. Oh, boys. I just got the dope from the skipper. Yeah, oh, what is it? Oh, when do we go oh, over? My back, hey, Odie. Don't sit up so sudden. How's the sunburn, Moish? Terrible. Man, my back is just killing me. Well, why'd you lie on your stomach? Oh, it's burned worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, don't tell me I told you so, huh? But I did. Uh, you wouldn't have listened. Uh, what'd the captain say, Les? Uh, DJ is the 20th. H hour is 8.30 in the morning. Tonight's the 18th. And we go over day after tomorrow. We go over tomorrow night. And if you guys got any letters to write, now would be a good time to do it. You read your Maori? No, not today. You better do it, kid. They're going to be pretty busy from now on. But you can't write. What can you say? You got too much on your mind to write. They spring a boat station drill along about 400 hours. By the time that's over, you got to line up for chow. You spend the rest of the day checking over the maps and photographs and your equipment down to the last cartridge and grenade. And as the day passes, you start to tighten up. You can feel the other guys tightening up, too. It's all over the ship. Everything's the same. The placid blue sea with the sun sparkling across it, the flung-out lines of transports and carriers and battle wagons. It's just like it has been for six days. But inside you, inside every man on board, it's different. It's hard to get your breath. Your heart's pounding like a trip hammer. Your nerves stretch tighter and tighter... And by nightfall, you feel that something has got a snap inside you. And, and then along about midnight, a loudspeaker box. All hands, secure condition three. Set condition one A. Oh, hey, here we go. Come on, get your gear together. Relax, kid. That's for the Navy crew that's running this tub. The hired help. Yeah, you got plenty of time, Odie. 
That's the most you got of anything in a war, time. Yeah, but maybe they chased a plane and they were going in earlier, well, huh? Now, you know the Admiral wouldn't go and do anything like that without consulting you, Moish. Howdy, did you write your mind tonight? No, I've been too... Well, I've been getting my gear together. Listen, kid, you better write your mind now. You've still got time. I don't know what to tell her. Tell her you're having a wonderful time. Tell her about how pretty the palm trees look in the moonlight. Tell her you hope she's getting enough to eat back home. Tell her anything to keep her morale up. While the Marines lay around on their bunks down below in the blue battle lights, there's plenty doing topside. From the boat deck, davits creak and groan as the LCPs, the landing craft personnel, go into the water. From the forward and after decks, the winches sputter and choke, dropping the big LCMs, landing craft mechanized over the side. Finally, they're all away and cruising astern in a loose, turning circle. Aboard ship, the loudspeaker is squawking. Divisions 15 and 16. Hey, hey, 15 and 16. They're to call us pretty soon now, huh? They'll call us when they call us. Relax. Hey, you can't take that island all by yourself, boy. You gotta have some help. Oh, it ain't that. I want to get it over with so I can take this equipment off. Hey, straps of murder in my sunburn. Oh, don't you worry about that. Uh, Japs will take the sunburn off your mind, won't they, Les? Yeah. How do you feel, Odie? Okay. Scared, kid? Me? Scared? Heck no. Listen, brother. Let me tell you something. You look scared. You act scared. You're lying like the a... The only difference between you and Les is Les don't look or act scared. Are you scared, Les? Sure I am. Scared to death. Oh, Les, I'm glad you said it, because honestly, I'm so scared I don't know if I'm kid, be... it's just natural. Hey, you guys, where's the chaplain? Well, he ain't there in the head. We're looking for him everywhere. Last I saw him, he was after in the sick bay hearing prayers. Well, thanks, Mac. You better hurry. He's got to land down that deck as long as a Gene Autry picture in Abilene on a Saturday night. Divisions 17 and 18 report to hey. debarking station. 18, that's us. Come on, Les. Hurry up. Come on, shorty. Well, you better save your strength, kid. You're going to need it later. <laughs> Crouching in the landing barge now. Thirty-six of them have come tumbling over the side and down the cargo net, and now they huddle in the bottom of the LCP. They don't look like the ads in the slick magazines back home. They're just three dozen American kids of assorted sizes, creeds, and color of hair. They aren't quite as slap-happy as a football team on its way to the Rose Bowl, but they aren't acting like they had a date with destiny either. There's just a bunch of well-trained kids talking shop. Now, Odie, mind what I told you. When we get ashore, you keep your butt down. Yeah, that's important, Odie. You ain't got a tin hat on your tail. Another thing, first time on the fire, maybe you'll freeze. Well, don't let that worry you. Just freeze. I'll be there to look after you. Well, unless you treat me like a kid, I can take care of myself. Now, you hear me. I'm looking after you, see? Uh, Who's going to look after you, Sergeant York? It's not yet dawn. And the boats are cruising around in a circle at the rendezvous point, a mile off the beach. It's quiet except for the purring of the engines and the low talk of the men. And then, way off toward the horizon, there's a jagged ball of sparks. Hey, what was that? The Navy. Battleships and cruisers offshore. Doing our work for us. Brother, when they get through pounding that beach, there won't be a chap left to rig a booby trap. That, boys, is what is known as softening up. Oh, I told you, this is going to be a pushover. It takes hours to organize and land an invasion force. You don't rush off toward the beach at top speed yelling, gung-ho. You wait. You circle and wait while the big guns of the Navy pound the 800-yard wide island of Batio. 
And then the sun bounces up out of the ocean off toward Hawaii, and it's daylight and hot, and still you wait, circling slowly. And when the battle wagons leave off, the dive bombers take over, swarming up from the flat decks of a dozen carriers hidden behind the horizon, roaring down on the Japanese gun positions, crumbling the pillboxes, pulverizing the concrete ramparts in the most intensive air bombardment in history. To you, crouching mouth agape offshore in the LCP, it looks as though nothing could remain alive under that murderous fire. It's getting close to age hour now, and you get the flash from the flagship, and the circle breaks up, and the boats fan out heading for Beach Red. But you don't go in full throttle. You creep in, slowly, feeling for a safe channel through the treacherous coral reefs, praying the high tide will hold its promised four and a half feet of water till you can unload these kids on the page of a history book. You peel your eyeballs, searching the coral formations beneath the rippling green water. And then, suddenly something's changed. Something is not quite the same. And then you get it. It's quiet. The Navy guns have ceased firing. The Navy planes have let up. So the men can go in. It's H hour. And no sound comes from Bajo. Not a single rifle barks a challenge to your coming. How you doing, kids? Okay. Okay. Look at that. Look at that. Not a peep out of them and only a couple of hundred yards to go. What's the matter? We run aground. Yeah, you've run aground. You can back away, all right, but you can't go forward. Your bottom's crunching coral. This is the end of the line. Oh, here we go. Okay, boys, get on your overshoes. This is as far as we go. How do you like that? And my cigarette for Red Beach and return. Got us something snare food. All right, boys, over you go. And keep those rifles out of the water. All right, all right, all right. Come on, let's go. Too many Japs went to school in the States. Too many Nips read American history... They know about Bunker Hill and don't fire until you see the whites of the enemy's eyes. And as soon as the boys drop into the water, they open fire up from a dozen hidden pillboxes. Duck your heads when you see the splashes coming your way. Hey, come on, that's that. Here. Keep waiting, guys. How you doing, kid? Come on, Ivan. Come on, Ivan. Hey, it's murder. It's murder, all right. All up and down the beach, the men are pouring out of the LCPs into a hot wall of death. This is Beach Red. The brass has to make up the code named it well for this day. The beach is red, all right, and the surf breaking red upon it. Blood red. Standing off the reef, the landing barges are helpless. All except one. It finds a curving channel through the coral and pushes its hot nose inshore to pick up the wounded. It's tough going wading through water up to your chest, holding a gun over your head, the machine gun bullets kicking up rows of white splashes just in front of you. But you're not scared now. You've only got one thing on your mind now. You've got to get to that beach. No, you're not scared. But you're mighty glad Les is right here beside you. Come on, kid. Not much further. I'm you, Les. Hey, who said this was going to be a pushover? Hey, Les. Hold it. Where are you? Hold it up, Shorty. we got to get to that beach and dig in. Where are you? Les. Hold it. Les, look. Shorty, he's waiting back out to sea looking for us. His face is all shot up. Les, he's blind. Don't look, kid. There's nothing we can do for him. We gotta get to that beach. Hey, we ain't going any place if we're not careful. What's the matter? There's a sniper in that wrecked LCP. He's They're shooting this way. Get down, Odie. Get stopped. Let's. He stopped one. He stopped one and had my name on it. All right, there's an LCP over there. Pick it up, wounded. We gotta get him out of here. LCP! Over this way! Wounded man! Save me! Bring that boat over here! 
Hey, Stevens, Tony, they're coming. It's going to be okay, Les. I'll take care of you. I'll get you back to the transport. You're going to be okay, Les. You got a trip home now in this kid. You get back home to see Mike. Get over here, Mike. Is he hurt bad? I don't know. He can't talk. All right, give me a hand. Post him up, will you? He's pretty heavy. Okay. I got a belt. Hey, wait a minute. He's my brother! Your brother? You, you see, I can't leave him here! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gee, that's tough. You gotta take him! Yeah, yeah, well, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, don't give me a hand with him. I guess I can report he died on the way out. Thanks, Amy. Thanks a lot. Hey, hey, that one got you in the arm. You better climb it, too. Not me. I'm okay. You take care of last, will you? Come on, boys. We got some jobs to kill. Yes, Sarawa was tough. So was Hollandia Bay and Guadalcanal and Saipan and Iwo Jima, Okinawa, and Awitak. But they were won and held by men. Even the final island of Honshu, on which the two first adolescent bombs burst, was finally won and held by men. The men of the armed forces of the United States. The men whom America honors. Suspense. In which Mr. John Lund starred in Tarawa Was Tough. Written, produced, and directed by William N. Robeson. Listen. Listen again next week when we bring you another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Supporting Mr. Lund in Tarawa Was Tough were Ellen Morgan, Jack Crucian, Dick Crenna, Joe DeSantis, Robert Easton, John Daner, Larry Thor, and Lou Krugman. Suspense has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
And now... Miss Agnes Moorhead in Death and Miss Turner. A tale well calculated to keep you in... out for a walk this morning. I was dead and I went out for a walk. Miss Briggs went with me. It was her idea. I wouldn't have particularly thought of it. She'd brought the new picture in this morning. She took my chair and stood on it and took off one shoe and hammered the nail in the wall and hung the picture up. She asked me if it was hanging straight and I said, I thought so. Then she said, well... She took off her glasses and gave me a little inquiring expression. She always does that after she's done something for me. She wants my approval. So I looked at the picture hanging there. And I smiled and I said, It's lovely. A plain black frame. Yes, you're right. That's just the right frame for it. There are some other pictures downstairs we could have framed, if you like. That would be a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Not a bit. I think I could sleep some more. There's a headache just hovering over me. And I don't want to wait until it gets me. Of course, you finish your nap. You know what might be nice, though, later on? To go for a stroll in the park. Go out today and have lunch somewhere nice. Like 96 Piccadilly or Clarendon? How about it, Rachel? <laughs> I was dead. Long, long dead. And I went out for a walk. My name is Rachel. Yes, I can't see any doubt about that. No. And then the American meets the Englishman and says, Well, how are things here, old boy? And the Englishman says, Better than next year. <laughs> Are you getting tired, dear? Seen enough of London for one day? Oh, no, no. I'm enjoying this so very much. As long as we don't walk too far. Oh, we're not, are we? No, no. Lovely. How long have you been in London, Rachel? You know I can't tell you that, Miss Briggs. Of course. I've forgotten. You're just hoping that I just might let something sort of slip accidentally. Aren't you, Miss Reed? Yes, I guess so. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? No. No, it wouldn't. Don't count on it, Miss Reed. It's not going to happen. I can't risk it. Very well, my dear. Oh, look. Here's the frame shop where I got our new picture done. The black frame you like so much. He's framing some more for us. Let's just go in and see how he's coming along. Is this a new shop? Yes, I think so. Hello there. Anybody in? Who's that? Oh, oh, Miss Briggs. And how are we today? Oh, fine, thank you, Mr. Putney. My friend here and I thought we'd just look in and see how our little job of work is going. I see, I see. <laughs> uh, that was uh, the four royals. By who was it? 
Uh, uh, Turner, that's it, Turner. Let me see. Oh, no, I'm afraid we haven't got to them yet. They're still hanging up there on the line. I've been here before. I beg your pardon? It was the same. I'm afraid not. You see... What do you mean? I tell you, I well, don't... Well, I've only just opened my shop a few weeks ago. I'm not talking about your shop, Mr. Putnam. But these things... Oh, these paintings. Oh, I don't know. Miss Briggs brought them in. Uh, by Turner. Turner? That's the posture. J.M. Turner? Why, well, these have nothing to do with him. In the first place, he was watercolor... In the second place, landscape. In the third place... Well, not J.M. Turner. Another Turner. Uh, They're signed... uh, R. Turner. Oh. Interesting painter, don't you think? Not exactly macabre, but something shivery about them. All four of them seem to have an... Well, I guess you'd call it an ominous overtone. Really? I don't feel that particularly. (laughs) Well, wouldn't you call it a little nightmarish when a painter goes to this much trouble? All this detail, painting a man in his hand, his suit, the handkerchief in his pocket, uh, the carnation in his buttonhole, and then brings out his face in all four paintings. No face. I see a face. Uh, Oh, yes, of course. Not complete. Not the filled-in features. But the qualities of this man's face are there for me, even though they're not there for you. I should know this man if I met him. I think we'll be getting back. He's dead, I think. We rode back in a taxi, Miss Briggs and I. She had a bundle which Mr. Putney said she'd ordered or something. I wasn't listening to them. Every time I opened my mouth to say something, I gave them an advantage. Every time I went out for a walk, like today, I showed things in my expression that told them what they wanted to know. I'd fallen into a trap when Miss Briggs had suggested that walk this morning. They'd been weak. I should never have gone. I want to be dead. And I won't be brought back from it. No, wasn't that a pleasant outing? Yes. Yes. What the hell have you got in that bundle? Hmm? Uh-huh. Stuff I ordered the other day from Mr. Putney. Oh? What is it? You laugh. No, I won't. Well, I know it's foolish, but... Well, anyway, it's something I've always wanted to have a private dabble at. They say it relaxes the nerves. And who knows? I'm younger than Grandma Moses. Paint. We bought a box of paint. And brushes. This one, if you please, cost two guineas. It's for the fine detail work, he said. Sable. Hmm? It's a sable brush. And these, you mix your colors on them. Palette. And then there's, uh, whatever this is, fixative and... Well, anyway, I've gone and got a perfect smasher of a real professional kit. Now, if someone will teach me to draw a straight line... You didn't buy this box of paints for yourself. Did you, Miss Bree? But whatever You bought them for me. That's it, isn't it? I was a painter. That's what you're waiting for me to find out, isn't it? Ah, Turner. The painter who does portraits of a man without a face. It's Rachel Turner. Is that it? I don't remember it, but is that it? Am I Rachel Turner? Uh, wait here. I've got to get Dr. Price. 
I knelt at the door a moment after she had gone. Then a square of white became the only thing in the room. I picked up a canvas. I drew a chair forward and propped the canvas against it. I was doing my best not to think, not to govern my actions, simply to allow whatever might happen. My hand was tearing away the cellophane wrapper from the charcoal. I leaned over the square of white propped there on the chair. And like plunging a dagger into a white body, I invaded the purity of the canvas with a bold and perfectly symmetrical oval in black. Done with one stroke. The charcoal fell from my hand. Now the oils were spurting onto the palette. The sable brush, stabbing into the colors, blending them, testing the mixture. Perfect flesh tone. Why? For what sake? Here is the doctor. The doctor? Well, we meet at last. I mean to say we, we meet as people meet in a drawing room. A cocktail party, perhaps, where the hostess hasn't had time to introduce us all round, and, and we find ourselves, you and I, elbow to elbow at the punch bowl. In this moment, you smile to me as I hand you your glass, and, and I say my name is Christ. I'm Rachel Turner. I'm a painter. Who are you? You know, that's the subject on which I'm dreadfully ill-informed. I'm a psychologist myself. Sir Bartley Grant, of the Majesty's College of Medicine. Good heavens. Not only a painter, but a positive encyclopedist. How would you know that? Have we met before? We've not met at all this way. You don't meet you and I, Sir Bartley, until some months from now when you are my doctor and I'm a patient who has lost her memory. How much do you know now, Miss Turner? You're going to be sorry. More than that, you'll be the object of all the murderous hatred my soul is capable of if you persist in bringing me back. I shall risk that. Many people hate me. I save many others from being hated. Miss Turner, did you paint this picture oh. just now? <laughs> in those 15 minutes while Miss Briggs and I were talking... Yes. It's remarkable. Amazing. Uh, this man's face. Why him? I mean, for what reason this particular encounter? Is he real from life? Yes. Yes. Well, what does he mean, then? Who is he? I don't know. I don't know. I saw him only once. Then why did you feel compelled to bring that to his face? To show to yourself again now? Why? It's, it's the face of the man I murdered. In a moment, we continue with...
man whose face you painted, Joe? Yes. Yes, I did. How did you murder him? Oh, I... I don't know. You have no, no recollection of having actually done it? No. You're unable to tell yourself where this happened or when? No. I... I only am sure that I killed him. Miss Turner, we're going to give you something to make you sleep. sleep. Now, will you roll up your sleeve from this ring? Oh, dear. Yes, we shall need to help you to sleep for a period of time now. I hope it'll be a brief period. You've wanted to sleep a great deal of recent months, haven't you? Yes, that was because you were afraid of reality, of your thoughts while awake. So you were always dozing off or taking a nap or, or staying in bed till half the day was gone. No. Now I know I'm a murderer. I've earned the right to be drugged into forgetting it for a few hours. I was already dead. I'd forgotten. Why couldn't I have been allowed to die? Why not have hung me and be done with it? Hung you? <laughs> hung you for what? For a murder you cannot describe? Of a man whose death and circumstances pointing to violence we have no record of? No one on earth has come forward to accuse you of any crime. How did you find me? What was I doing? Where was I when you found me? You must remember what happened yourself. You must live through that horror again. Only then will you know what is true. In the meantime, I shall help you in every way I can. Hate me if you like. And it's better than hating yourself. Good night, Miss Turner. So many years to remember. A life brought back to be my own. The figures and landscapes and people which belonged to me. When nothing had been mine the day before. It was all there. Up until my birthday. What happened on the 16th of April? I remember the night before. It was the last thing I remembered until awaking here in the hospital on the first day of May. I was standing in the lobby of the hotel, just having got off that rickety elevator. And my bag was packed, was there at my feet. And the porter came around from behind his booth and handed me my train ticket. After that, nothing. Black. White. Piano. Soon. Train. Teach. Barrister. Solicitor. Pallet. Train. Porter. Ticket. Mm-hmm. Train. Uh, Snow White. But, uh, I beg your pardon. Snow White. She has that long train that the dwarf carries. Oh, yes. Quite right. Blood. Red. Train. A sore. Miss Turner, have you noticed anything about your response to this word? Which word, Doctor? The word train. I have put it to you three times, and each time you have, for some reason, avoided connoting what one should expect to be the most commonplace association. You have not answered with smoke or wheels or Waterloo Station or underground. Have you any idea why you should be unwilling to recognize the word train as a high-speed conveyance traveling on rails? I... I, I don't have any idea. Book. Dealer. Yorkshire. Pudding. Train. Jack. Thank you, Miss Turner. I think that will do us for today. Miss Briggs took me back to my room. 
I was in a fever. I could hardly walk straight. She kept dabbing in my forehead with her handkerchief, but it didn't do any good. I could see her lips moving, probably asking me if I was all right and she could help me. But I couldn't hear her. There was another horrifying, terrible sound filling my ears. I held my hands over them, trying to... And it grew louder. In my room, Miss Briggs tried to push me toward the bed. I could see her lips framing, you must lie down. And I pressed her out of the way and lunged for the candle. I held an arm to a number, so they were floating out of my control. Except that they ached agonizingly. There were flashes before my eyes. Pounding waves that threw my head back and forth as though I were being battered in some apocalyptic storm. Then came a frightful shrieking, torn from the throat of a damned soul in torment. And I fell forward on the floor and something fell with me. And I saw it as the tetrod painted. And the voice that was shrieking was my own. This is it, is it, nurse? Oh, yes, yes. It's all, all right. right. Roll up that sleeve. Yes, now, Rachel. She painted that picture there, delirious, like a madwoman. I... Yes, 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 be quiet. Now, Miss Turner. Oh, oh. oh you hurt me. You hurt me this time. Singing. Oh. The picture's a little bit different this time, Miss Turner. It will stop fitting in just a moment. There, it's better already, isn't it? just done, Miss Turner. Is it good? I think it's extraordinarily good. Are you sleeping? Sleeping? But awake. Asleep, but not asleep. Could you describe this picture to me as though I'd never seen it? A man sitting in a railway compartment, looking out the window of a train. Opposite... Him with her back to us is a woman. It is as though we were the woman whose attention is on this man. As though we were this woman? Yes. Don't you mean that you are this woman, Miss Turner? Yes, I am. What day is it now? My birthday. April the 16th, last April. Yes, that is the day. I'm aboard the Flying Scotsman. I'm on my way to Edinburgh to paint the moors. I'm in a compartment, alone. I'm relaxed and happy. I feel the urge to paint something. Right here as the train goes speeding along. And what do you paint? A man. It is the embodiment of a man. His posture. His clothes. And for some reason, I cannot paint his face. I know his face, but I find it impossible to transfer it to the canvas. I make four separate versions of him, but each time my brush remains poised in midair, refusing to invade the oval of white where the face should be. 
At Manchester, I get out to stretch my legs, walking up and down the station platform. And when I resume my compartment, I find that I have a fellow traveler sharing it with me. As I seat myself opposite him, he turns to face me directly. He's the man. It's his face which is missing from the portraits that lie on the seat beside me. How do you do? How do you do? I... How do you do? What is it, miss? Do you, you feel unwell? Forgive me for staring at you. I, I didn't... I mean, looking at you in this way. Oh, it's all right, if you like. I'm a painter, you see. Artist? Oh, jolly good, an artist. And well, this is the impossible part. Here, you, you see these pictures? Oh, oh, yes. Yes, very interesting. Not to know who it is, his face. Oh, but I do know. I didn't feel I could do the face before, but now I can. Oh, uh, 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 of course. Why? Because it's your face. My face? <laughs> Why my face? Yes. I know it sounds queer, but... You're going to put my face in there? Yes, if I may. <laughs> well, well, all right. All right, go right ahead. You mean it? No. Certainly. Now, now, what do I do? Do I just sit here? Yes, yes, just that way. Please, if you tilt your head just a little more that way. Oh, is this all right? Yes. You're in the shadow, though. There's only a little more light. Oh, I have it. Would it be too much trouble if we change places? There's good light here where I'm sitting. Uh, beg pardon? If we change places, I'll sit over there and you... Oh, oh, yes, yes, change places. Oh, certainly. I sit down where he's been. And he places himself exactly where I've been sitting. For a moment he looks at me, smiling. And then it happens. There's a grinding, crashing thunder. Smoke and steam obscured his face, still smiling and surprised. And then... train leaves at midnight. They gave me a farewell tea this afternoon, and I even had a cocktail. The hostess was much too busy to introduce us all around, but a very nice gentleman came up to me and introduced himself. My name is Grace. I'm a psychologist. I am Rachel Turner. I'm a painter.
Death and Miss Turner. Written especially for her by William Spear and produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Supporting Miss Moorhead in Death and Miss Turner were Irene Tedrow, Raymond Lawrence, John White, and Richard Peel. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. Did you know that the Stanley Steamer is the fastest automobile ever made? It is. Theoretically, at least. Nobody ever determined its top speed because it had a tendency to blow up first. All of which is by way of background for the upcoming story of suspense. Listen. Listen, then as Mr. John McIntyre stars in The Big Day, which begins one minute from now. I have never read a collection of American folklore which had a section devoted solely to the downtrodden commuter, but there should be. There are legends galore about the miseries of these poor folk. For example, there was this train in Idaho that was a mite slow. Once an impatient passenger asked the conductor why the train had stopped. There's a cow on the track, he said. We have to chase her away. A little later, when the train stopped again, the passenger roared, Now what's wrong? Oh, said the conductor serenely, We just caught up with that cow again. (laughs) Folklore belongs to every nation's legendary past, and I guess we Americans have our share of some good ones. Like the one about... Ah, but we'll have to save that one for the next time we travel your way. See you then. And now... Mr. John McIntyre in The Big Day, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. What's the say on the gauge, Albert? Looks like about four pounds, Sam, maybe four and a half. Not enough. She won't run on four and a half pounds of steam pressure, that's for sure. Can't see what difference it would make if she did run, Sam. You wouldn't take her anywhere. Just sit here in the garage like you've been doing every day since I can remember and steam her up and not go anywhere. Now, how come you just steam her up and don't go anywhere in her, Sam? Because the right time hasn't come along yet. That's why, Albert. You put new wheels on her and new racing tires. And you made me paint that crazy number 61 on the side, but you never take her out. Albert, I'm getting tired of you sitting there asking me why I never do this and why I never do that. I'm going to tell you once more what I've been telling you over and over. I put the new wheels and tires on her because I'll need them when the right time gets here. And it's coming, Albert. It's coming sooner than you think. Are you going to ride her up to heaven on Judgment Day, Sam? Are you going to steam her up and drive your bright red Stanley up into the sky? Is that what you're going to do, Sam? That's very funny, Albert. Very funny. No, I'm not going to drive her up to heaven on Judgment Day. I'm going to drive her where she belongs, out in the open. 
out on the road where she can get up a full head of steam and show everybody what she can really do. Gonna show up all the modern cars, eh, Sam? Albert, I know I'm wasting my time talking to you, just like I waste my time talking to that son of mine. But 50 years ago, 50 years ago, in 1907, a Stanley steamer was wrecked going 190 miles an hour. Oh, now, come off it, Sam. It's in the book, 190 miles an hour, and she would have done better if she hadn't come apart. I'll bet the fellow that was driving her came apart, too. Well, it wasn't the car's fault. The fellow that was driving her just didn't know how to handle steam. But you do. I do. When the day gets here, I'll show you. You and Ma and that son of mine and everyone else who think gasoline is the only kind of fuel for a car. The only reason the steamer isn't on the streets now is because the big oil companies bought them out, bought them out to keep the steamer off the streets. But it'll be different when I take this one out. Oh, sure. And the time is sooner than you think, Albert. A lot sooner than you think. Now get up there and pump, Elbert. Let's get a real head of steam on her and see what she sounds like. In just a moment, it'll be time for the 5.30 news. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Friends, how long has it been since you felt good? Junior? Really good, I Junior? Mean. Yes, Mom? Where's Pop? The news is coming on and he wants to hear the qualifying times from the racetrack. I'll call him. I think he and Mr. Fellows are out in the garage. Well, tell him the news is on. He'll be mad if he misses it. Well, there he is, Mom, coming in the back door. Uh, news on yet? Yeah, I was just going to call you. Did you get to the speed trials at Indianapolis yet? No, they haven't finished the important news yet. Important? What's more important, I'd like to know, than the names and times of the drivers who qualified for the Indianapolis 500 this week? Well, why in the world are you so interested in the races this year, Sam? I've always been interested in the Memorial Day race, and you know it. But why the interest in the times and what kind of cars they're driving and all that? You always listen to the race on race day, but... Well, this year you act like you're driving in it yourself. Huh. In a steamer, maybe. Huh. And what's so funny about that? She could take any one of those gasoline engine cars, make them look like they were standing still. Oh, come on, Pop. That Stanley of yours was made in 1917. Just because you put a lot of new stuff on her, like racing tires and modern wheels, well, putting her on a track with a modern race car would be like putting a workhorse against Iron Leeds at the Derby. Son... Let me ask you something. Sure. How old are you? Seventeen. And how long have you been driving a car? Three years. Legally? Mm, almost a year. All right. Now, I've been driving cars almost as long as they've had them. And I happen to know a little more about the Stanley Steamer than you do. And I know a little more about gas engines than you do. Son, don't you talk back to your father. Well, I'm not talking back to him, Mom. I just said that... Your mom heard what you said, son, and I can tell you this... If I could get that steamer of mine out where it could get a good start, I could whip any one of those fancy streamlined jobs they got back at Indianapolis. Oh, boy. Sam. I could whip any one of them, and I could make them eat my steam. Sam, sometimes yeah. I wonder where your mind is. Yeah. Now, s stop arguing about something that's impossible yeah. and listen to the news while I get dinner on It's not impossible, and one of these days I'll show you it's not impossible. Big deal. Maybe that day is sooner than you think. What do you say to that? Well, I say you either sit down and listen to the news or go in and clean up for supper. That's what I say. And I say the Stanley Steamer is the fastest thing on wheels. That's what I say. Anybody want to know what I say? No. That's what I thought you'd say. Bring the extension cord around the front of her, Albert. 
Hang it over on the nail. I'm trying to get it over the hood, Sam. But don't drag it across her. You want to scratch up the paint? I don't want to do anything but go home, Sam. Millie's going to give me a bad time if I don't get home early. She thinks you're down at the church again tonight? Well, I told her I was painting the white lines on the basketball court. Trouble is, I told her I was doing that last night, too. Well, tell her it's a big court. Mm -hmm. Hold that light over here so as we can get a look at these maps. Uh Yeah, you sure got enough of them. Yeah, got them down at the auto club. Real nice about giving them to me, too. Didn't even ask me what I wanted them for. Well, what do you want them for, Sam? What do I want them for? I want them to lay out a course. A course of what? Albert, when you lay out a course, it isn't a course of something. It's a course to somewhere. Oh, where? Well, that's what we're going to figure out tonight. Hold the light over this way a bit. Let's take a look at this map here. California. San Diego to San Francisco. That's the one we want. Well, this is Los Angeles, Sam. I know. Let's see. Highway 101 runs from here to San Diego. Uh too many little towns. Not far enough, anyway. Millie has an aunt lives down in San Diego. Highway 99. If you went straight up 99 towards Sacramento, you'd bypass Saugus, New Hall, and you don't hit anything really big until Bakersfield. I had a friend once lived in Bakersfield. And out of Bakersfield, there's Wasco, Delano, Tulare, Fresno. And the road runs straight and level. Hand me that uh, ruler there, will you, Elmer? Yeah. Here it is. Yeah, now let's see. Scale says 21 miles to the inch. Hmm. Fresno's about 10 inches from Los Angeles. That's 210 miles. Hmm. Got a long ways to go yet. Jim, I I don't know what you're going to do with that map, but I got to go home. If Millie finds out I've been spending my evenings over here in your garage fooling around with this steamer of yours, she has skinned me alive. Albert, let me tell you something. You got nothing to worry about. Oh, I got nothing to worry about with Millie? You got nothing to worry about with Millie when she finds out why you've been spending your evenings over here. When she finds out. When she finds out why you've been helping me with the steamer, she'll be so impressed she won't do anything but applaud. Sam, I gotta go home. All right, Albert, you go on home. You go home and get a good night's sleep, and tomorrow morning I'll let you in on a little surprise. Sam, you've forgotten that tomorrow's Memorial Day or the race is on. I know the race is on, Albert. I know that you and I always listen to the Indianapolis race on the radio, and tomorrow we listen to the start just like we always have. Only it'll be different. Different? That's right, Albert, different. That's the surprise I'm talking about. Now, you'll be here at 8.30, sharp. 8.30? The radio doesn't even come on from the track until 9.15. You'll be here at 8.30 sharp, Albert. Well, I don't know why I've got to get here so early. Albert. All right, Sam, if you say so, I'll be here. Ah, that's the way to talk, Albert. Now, you go on home to Millie and leave me here with my maps, and I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, well, good night, Sam. Good night, Albert. Don't be late, because tomorrow, tomorrow, Albert, is the big day. <laughs> with sunny skies and warm, clear evenings. Stay tuned to this station for the started running of the great Memorial Day Speed Classic. But where on earth is your pop, Junior? I don't know, Mom. Well, I guess this is one day I don't have to worry about where he is. He and Elbert haven't missed the start of the Annapolis race for 15 years. That's Indianapolis, Mom. Annapolis is the Naval Academy. You know, I never can remember which is which. I tried last year to remember that the Indians were the ones at the racetrack and the... 
sailors at the other place, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I remember. You called it the Indian race from Annapolis. <laughs> yes, your pop almost exploded. Like that tin can of his in the garage. <laughs> Don't you ever let your father hear you call that car of his a tin can. It's a Stanley steamer, and you know that as well as I do. It's a tin can, if you ask me. And I could beat it in low gear in my old jalopy. Pop would ever take it out on the road. We take you now to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Indianapolis, Indiana, for the start of the great Memorial Day Speed Classic, the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Hello there, race fans. This is Sam Pierce, speaking directly from the Pagoda, overlooking the starting line here at Indianapolis. And it's a beautiful day for a race. There are a few black clouds over Junior, the east. Junior, you better call your here. pop. He'll, he'll explode if he misses the start. Like a tin can. Junior? <laughs> Open the doors, Albert. Open the doors and stand back. Are you going to take her out, Sam? Just open the doors and see. Okay, Sam. Well, open, Sam. Okay. Now stand back, Albert. There she goes. She's moving, Sam. She's I moving. I know, I know. I'll bring that portable radio. Follow me out to the street and I'll stop her there. Okay, Sam. You did it, Sam. You took her out. Of course I did, Albert. Now hand me that radio. Yeah, here you are. I'll tune her up and see if they've got the track yet. On the track, running their warm-up lap. The race car is leaving the pits now, and in a very short time, the race will be underway. They're just about ready to go, Albert. Yeah, we better get into the house or we'll miss the start. Albert, we're not going to listen to the start in the house. Huh? We're going to listen to the start right here on this porter. Well, we can hear it better in the house, Sam. Albert, get up here on the seat with me. Me? Up there on that seat in that thing? That's right, Albert. Get here on the seat with me. I wouldn't drive around the block in that thing, Sam, and you know it. Albert, you're going with me. I am not going with you. You're going with me or I'll tell Billy that you weren't at the church last night or the night before or the night before that. Now get up here on the seat and turn up the radio so we can hear the start. Uh, I, I don't like this, Sam. Yeah, you will, Albert. Uh, you're going to share an historic event with me. You're going to be with me and my Stanley steamer when the starter at the track drops the starting flag in front of those racers back at Indianapolis. And when that flag drops, Albert, we're going to open the throttle and start with them. Sam Porter, are you crazy? And while they're driving around and around for 500 miles, you and I and the steamer will be going up Highway 99 to the town of Gridley. Sam! And Gridley, California, is exactly 500 miles from where we are right now. You're going to race this thing 500 miles to Gridley? We're going to race against those cars back at Indianapolis. And we're going to win, Albert. We're going to get to Gridley before they get to the finish line. Sam Porter, you're crazy. Sitting up on this steaming monster talking like a crazy man. Turn up the radio, Albert. And here they come down the straightaway in front of the main grandstands, ladies and gentlemen. And they're off. The Indianapolis. Hang on and pump, uh, Albert. Hang on and pump. Is underway. We're off to Gridley. In a moment... We continue with Suspense. Do you know the Social Security benefits to which you will be entitled when you separate from the service and take a civilian job? Here's a tip from Social Security. There are four times for action. First, when you go on a job covered by Social Security, you need a Social Security card. The account number shown on the card is used to keep a record of your earnings. Second, if a worker in your family dies, 
and his work was covered by Social Security, some member of the family should ask about survivor's benefits at the nearest Social Security office. Third, if you are disabled before you reach 65 and have worked under Social Security, get in touch with the Social Security office. You and your dependents may be eligible for monthly checks. And finally, two or three months before you reach retirement age, get in touch with the Social Security office. If you want to keep working, fine. But get the facts about Social Security anyway. You may still be able to get benefit payments. And now, we continue with The Big Day, starring Mr. John McIntyre. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. We're in the tenth lap of the race, ladies and gentlemen, and now here are the standings. In first place, car number 31, Johnny Gillen. In second, in car number 26, George O'Hara. How fast we going, Albert? I, I can't see the speedometer, Sam. Too much steam. Well, wipe off your goggles and bend down closer. I want to know how fast we're going. Troy Ruffman. I think the speedometer is busted, Sam. It says 95. It's not busted, Albert. We're probably going 95. Now get on that pump, Albert, and let's see if we can't get up a real head of So far, it's been a wonderful race, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing to mar the thrill of watching I these cars. I can't understand. Fifteen years, he never misses a start, and now all of a sudden he disappears. I called him, Mom, but he didn't answer. Well, maybe he didn't hear you. Go on out the garage and get him. Okay, Mom. And it all goes well. We interrupt the Indianapolis race for a moment to bring you a special announcement from the California Highway Patrol. This is Officer Hanson of the Highway Patrol speaking. We have just received a report that an unidentified object has been seen traveling north on Highway 99 at very high speed. We have no description other than the following. The object is bright red and seems to be emitting clouds of some vapor, perhaps steam. Oh, no. It was last seen heading north on Highway 99 in the vicinity of Caswell and was traveling at great speed. Oh. A sheriff's car that gave chase lost it and called in this report. Motorists are warned to be on the lookout and to give this object the right-of-way if they see it. All police and sheriff's cars are on the alert and will bring you further reports as we receive them. Oh, dear me, no. Now to the Indianapolis. Junior! Junior! Pop's not in the garage, Mom, and you know what? I'm afraid I do, son. isn't there either. Junior, I know where your father is. He's out on the highway, and that... Uh, Tin can? Tin can, and he's trying to kill himself. Get me the phone, Junior. I've got to let them know. Police Department, Sergeant Walsh speaking. Yes? Yes? Now, now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight here. You say you know what the bright red object is. Now, what bright red object? The one that's out on Highway 99. The one that's going so fast. Oh, that one. Well, why didn't you say so? Now, hold on a minute. I want to get this down. Charlie. Get the radio open and stand by for an all-points bulletin. There's a lady on the phone says she knows what that crazy thing is on 99. Okay, lady. Now you tell me just what it is. That's right. A what? A Stanley steamer? Where are we now, Albert? I think we're coming up to Bakersfield. It's hard to follow the map with the steam and the wind. Bakersfield? That's over 100 miles from L.A. Turn up the radio, Albert. We'll see how far they've gone at Indianapolis. And these cars are performing like the beautiful things they are. Ha! 
So far, we haven't lost a car. We've completed a little over 100 laps. 250 miles. Somebody's crazy. Well, it isn't him, Sam. Now, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, at the halfway mark, we always give the standings to the cars and their drivers. So now let's just take it. Uh-oh, wait, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. The yellow warning lights are on, and that means we've got a car in trouble somewhere. I can't see too well, but I think it's... Yes, yes, there it is. Down at the far end of the grandstand straightaway, there's a car against the retaining wall. It's a wreck, Sam. Shut up and pump. Yeah, I can see the driver, ladies and gentlemen. He's out of the car now, and he's waving that he's all right. He's... Yes, he's okay, ladies and gentlemen, but that car is in a bad place there. He'll have to keep this race running under the caution flag until they can clear it away. Of course, that means the cars will have to slow way down, and this will reduce the race average, but, well, that's the break to the game. No Come on, Albert. That's a break that's for us. News. Pump up some more steam there, and we'll make up some time on it. Sam, this has gone far enough. Now, you got through that last town all right, although I think you scared them all half to death. But this next town is Merced, and it's a big one. Now, they've got signals set for 30 miles an hour right through the main street. You can't go through Merced at 95 miles an hour. I figured on those signals, Albert. We won't go through town at 95. Well, thank goodness for that. Signals set for 30. Three times 30 is 90. We'll go through town at 90. Click of the whistle. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Now, get on that pump, Albert, and pump. We can't afford to lose any steam pressure at this point. We've got an average to hold. This is a special bulletin from the State Highway Patrol. The unidentified object that has been reported at various positions from Los Angeles all the way north to Merced has been identified as a bright red Stanley steamer. Police in Fresno were eluded when a roadblock they set up was bypassed unexpectedly. However, the California Highway Patrol are now setting an impassable block on Highway 99 south of Stockton, and it's expected that the fugitives will be apprehended any minute. Meanwhile, motorists using this stretch of road are urged to proceed with caution. This has been a special bulletin. She's really rolling now that we got that fresh tank of water. She is that, Sam. It took us a little out of our way, taking that alternate road up into the hills back of Stockton. But I figured we'd find a water tank back there easier than in the city. And that farmer was real nice, too. You going back into Stockton now, Sam? Nope. Figured away on the map while we were stopped up there that takes us right around her. Figured it won't take much longer and we can miss the traffic in the city. You're pretty smart, Sam. Yeah, you gotta be smart to race a steamer, Elbert. Turn up the radio. See how they're doing in Indianapolis. Batteries are getting off a week, but I'll try. And now that the yellow lights are off, the cars are picking up their speed and the race is really a race again. You know, this is the longest period of time that the cars have ever had to run under the caution lights. Due, of course, to the unfortunate fact that a second car ran into the truck that was clearing the wreckage of the first car, and it's taken them a long, long time to get the remains off the track. But no one was hurt, so we're off again at Indianapolis. Turn it off, Albert. We have to save the batteries. There's not much left in them now. You know something, Albert? What? I'm kind of glad those racers are running on the green flag again. I didn't feel right having the advantage over them all that time. Sam, you're crazy. You are plain crazy. But you know, I'm beginning to like this. This is the State Highway Patrol speaking. We have a new report on the runaway Stanley Steamer. For a while, it was thought to have mysteriously disappeared when officers waiting at a roadblock at Stockton reported it failed to show up. 
but just a short time ago it was again reported on Highway 99 on the outskirts of Sacramento heading north. A block has been hastily erected at the town of Woodland, which is the next town along the route of the steamer. We'll have a further report as soon as we hear from the Woodland Police. How come you cut off 99 onto alternate 40, Sam? Because alternate 40 goes to Gridley and 99 doesn't. You really map this thing out, huh? Uh, Albert, I've heard a lot of derogatory things said about myself and this wonderful steamer of mine. But it's never bothered me. You know why? Because you're smart, Sam? Because I knew that one of these days a big day would come along and I'd make all those people who said all those things laugh out of the other corner of their mouths. You know what, Albert? What, Sam? That day is here. When we get into Gridley, I'll have proven that what I always said was true. Turn up the radio. See how far they've gotten back in Indianapolis. Okay. Yeah, it won't turn on. At least, well, I can't get any noise out of it. The yeah, batteries must have gone. Doggone it. Now we won't know how we made out till we get into Gridley. How much longer do you figure it'll take us, Sam? I'm, I'm getting awful tired. Uh, not too long now, Albert. Maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. Won't get there at all, Lord. I know, you... Sam. Hang on and pause. <laughs> she seems to be slowing down, Sam. I am slowing her down, Elbert. If I'm not mistaken, we should be getting into Grizzly right over the top of this hill. You mean it, Sam? You mean we're really there? We made it? I think so, Elbert. We'll know in a minute. Sure wish the radio was working so we could know how we did. Well, there'll be somebody in Gridley with a radio. We can ask them. Yeah. Hey, Albert, look there. Right down there at the foot of the hill. It's a town, all right, Sam. It's Gridley, Albert. Gridley in the finish line for us. Hey, looks like they're having a celebration or something. Oh, the car's all right. Maybe they've heard about it. No, most likely a picnic or a parade. Are you going to cross the finish line like they do back at Indianapolis? Albert, that's a great idea. We'll give them something to talk about for a long time to come. Uh-huh. Get a hold of that pump, Albert. I'm pumped. I know, Sam. I know. Look, they're getting out of the cars into the street. There's something funny, Albert. They've got cars parked there across the street. And they're holding up their hands. Well, I guess there's nothing to do but stop. I don't want to bust up my steamer after she run all this way. Anyway, we got to Gridley. All right. All right, you two. Now, just stay where you are. Don't make no fast moves. Sam, this cop doesn't sound very friendly. That gun he's waving doesn't look very friendly either. Now, I want you both to get down out of that, that, uh... Steamer, Stanley Steamer. Yeah, well, that thing. And just stand over there quiet. I better do as he says, Albert. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Albert. Yes, Sam? I can't get my hands loose to the steering wheel. They're stuck. Oh, uh, his hands are stuck to the wheel, officer. Well, get him unstuck and climb down out of there. You're both under arrest. For what? If I took the time to tell you now, we'd be here all night. Now get down. Oh, I almost forgot to ask. Uh, sir, is this Gridley? No, this is not Gridley. This is Live Oaks. Oh. Gridley's about ten miles further up the road. Oh, no, Albert, we lost. We came all this way so far so fast, and we still didn't complete the 500 miles. Gosh. Say, you got a radio in your car, officer? Of course I got a radio. Uh, can you get the station they have the Indianapolis races on? See how they finished? <clears throat> they didn't. They what? 
Uh, them racers back in Indianapolis, they didn't finish. They stopped the race five minutes ago. Supposed to drive 500 miles, but they got rained out. They had to stop at 475. Albert, you hear that, yeah. Albert? We beat him. Ah. We went 490 miles and they stopped at 475. Oh. I told you the Stanley Steamer was the fastest car on four wheels. Yeah, yeah, now wait a minute. If you don't mind, I'll ask you to get into my car and we'll take a slower ride back to police headquarters. Oh, sure, officer. And you know something, Sam? What, Albert? At least in his car. I won't have to hang on and pump. Suspense. In which Mr. John McIntyre starred in The Big Day. Written by Sam Pierce and produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Supporting Mr. McIntyre in The Big Day were Jeanette Nolan, Joe DeSantis, William Keneally, Henry Blair, Sam Pierce, and Dawes Butler. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. <laughs> Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.